0: Speak English, you're in America. Just because you come from another country, it don't make you nobody. Know
1: and you so-called Asians, and Filipinos, a waste of space. How long have you been in this country? You're not important enough. No, I'm not gonna get over it. This I would never call you guys can. any Too racial America. America. Because black lives don't matter.
0: Springer.
2: On the top of the car. In riot gear.
0: The man killed three people after saying he hated white people. 32-year-old Philando Castile has died. Mm-hmm. J. Blige, they got nothing on Brian Fuller and Javon. You know what I'm saying? Wow. And it's dangerous to give this old boy a microphone after hearing Martin Luther King Jr. preach. I'm just saying. Um, Hey, I'm glad you're here. Welcome. I know I've already said that, but I'm going to look into the cameras and just welcome all the campuses. We're one church, many locations. Would you help me welcome all the other campuses at all the various locations? Did you catch the the lyric in that song? It's the very first one. I know that's asking a lot, so you probably don't remember what the first words that came out of Fuller's mouth were. But here it is. Is it getting any better? Is it getting any better or do you feel the same? Will it make it easier on you now? You got someone to blame. We're in a series right now starting today. So if you're new, you came on a great Sunday. We're in a series called Grace. And about six months ago, I'm looking at the word grace, and I'm just thinking about grace. And I saw something that I had never seen before, never even noticed before. And that is the fact that race is contained within the word grace. And I knew right then and there that the Holy Spirit was speaking to my heart. And I wanted to do a series on race. And the question I would ask us is, is it getting any better? And I got to tell you, this week I was sitting at home and I was watching television, which I don't do a lot of. um, But I'm watching television and I I was surfing, if you will. And I came upon a special, a show that was ah, commemorating, I guess might be the wrong word. They were recalling and remembering the L.A. riots because it is 25 years ago, 1992. I don't know about you, but I, when, I, when I realized that, I'm like, where's the time going? 25 years ago, there was this thing, young person, if you don't know what I'm talking about, there was this big riot in L.A. Rodney King was, well, you know, you've seen it before, with the officers and, and then the, 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 the city, if you will, just blew up in riots. There was this infamous intersection where if you cross through there, you it was no man's land. They they pulled a white trucker out and they about beat the white trucker to death. After Rodney King and those officers were let off, they beat a white guy to about I was going to show you the visual image of that, but it was too much to show in this moment. You might not know this. I didn't know this till I watched it this week. That it was two African-American guys who left their house after watching this on television. And they went down there and saved the life of the white trucker. And the city just blew up. And I got to tell you, I, I went to bed. I went to bed a little discouraged, maybe even depressed, down, if you will. With, with that question, with that song, is it getting any better? I want to thank, thank so many of you who've come out of the woodwork this week just to... Um, to, to encourage me and to tell me how glad you were that I was doing this particular series. One staff person said to me, he said, when I hear you talk about this subject, I sense a deep passion and calling. He went on to say this, this is your wheelhouse. He said, this is what you were created to talk about. Now, I gotta tell you, the only reason I share that with you, this is the only reason I'm sharing this with you, is because when, when he said that, I knew that it resonated deep in my soul. It's true. I feel a deep sense of responsibility to speak to racial issues. And here's why. I've been reading this book since I was 18 years old. And as I've read this book over and over and over and over, it is crystal clear. And if you don't realize this or not, you just got to take my word for it, or for God's sake, go read the Bible. It is crystal clear that there is a vision outlined in the Bible, particularly in the New Testament, with HD clarity that paints a picture for the world that the church should be the most beautifully diverse, multi-ethnic community of faith that is literally, and I'm going to read a passage for you in just a moment that will show you this, that is literally put on display, if you will, to the glory of God's grace when the world looks at the church and sees that there is a people that can live peaceably with one another regardless of skin color. I want to offer a few disclaimers. We're just on part one of a three-part series, and each week we're just going to get deeper and deeper into this very, very important subject. So I want to just start out today and offer a few key disclaimers. Number one, take out your teaching notes. Maybe you write some of this down. Number one, I'm not doing this. I'm not teaching on this to be politically correct. Hey, take no offense, but I don't give a flying flip about being politically correct. I don't. I don't if you don't mind your pastor would much rather be biblically correct than politically correct So I'm not doing it to be politically correct and When you read the bible though, you learn how to be sensitive with different people You learn how to interact in a way I believe that is most faithful and most appropriate in the in the marketplace if you will You learn how to be gracious and sensitive to people when you need to be you learn how to speak grace You learn how to speak truth This is not to be politically correct, and some of you don't know this, but when we built this building the first time, not phase two, but when we built this building, we were laying the concrete slab down there that you're sitting on, and we buried the Bible right here under this teaching platform, and it was our way to say, on this platform, as long as this old boy is living, we are going to preach the Word of God, period. Period. So it's not a, this is not a soapbox agenda. This is, there's enough soapbox agendas on television and internet. That is not what this is about. This is about the Bible. Can I get an amen? amen? Our approach, second disclaimer, our approach, posture, if you will, is to be one of humility. Humility, brokenness when we need to be broken, contrite when we need to be contrite, And it's a posture of open ears, open heart, open mind to what God wants to say to our church at this particular time. Agreed? Agreed. Number three, last disclaimer, and then we're going to... Crack open the word of God. I will use language like white, Caucasian, black, African-American, brown, Latino, Asian. I'll use it all interchangeably. I'm not ever meaning to offend somebody, but I don't know if you realize this or not, but a lot of people are just confused about what language to use. And so I'm going to use them all interchangeably. And uh, I'm not going to use this language much. I will not use the language of majority or minority much. I don't like that language. And here's why. Why? doesn't matter if you are a part of the majority or the minority every single living breathing human being has an intrinsic value given to them by God and, and besides that check it out majorities and minorities are changing if you haven't noticed the landscape of America is changing The problem with the church is we just haven't caught up with it Y'all already have some fun today aren't you Hey we've been sitting here a while you sat for the feature I'm going to invite you to do something that I love to do. I'm going to invite you to stand up in honor of God's Word. And I want us to read the Bible together. Open up your Bibles to Ephesians. You can be in Ephesians for the next three weeks, by the way. I really encourage you to because that is what we are reading. I'm going to start in chapter 1. I'm just going to read 10 verses in chapter 1. Only a few will be highlighted. I did that on purpose. And then we're going to get into chapter 2, and I'm going to read the first 11 verses, and they will be on the screens for you. But Ephesians chapter 1, open up your Bibles, open up your Fibles, open up your tablets, whatever you got, and let's go get this. Ephesians 1.1. Paul An apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. To God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. And by the way, if I was writing this, I would say Benji, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. To God's holy people at New Hope. The faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. If you have been blessed, let me hear an amen. Amen. You guys are ready. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, watch this, this will pop up on the screen, to the praise of his glorious grace that's our calling to live in such a way that the world sees the glorious grace of God put on display and they praise Jesus which he has freely given us in the one he loves verse 7 in him we have redemption through his what blood the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring, you're going to see this on the screens, to bring what church? Unity. Say it again, what? Unity. Unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Verse 11, chapter two. Therefore, everybody say, therefore. Therefore. Remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Let the church say, ouch. Remember that at that time you who were separated from Christ, excluded from what? In Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. Verse 14, for he himself is our who has made the two groups. One and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. Listen, this this is key. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the Two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the what? Cross. Through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we look at your neighbor and say, both of us. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Just a few more verses. Why don't you read these out loud with me? Ready? Go. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. Let's go, one more. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Leave that verse up there, don't miss this. There is a clear connection in the New Testament and particularly in what we just read together that to the extent to which we allow the power of the gospel to break down barriers, to break down walls of hostility between racial groups, there is a connection between that and the extent to which God lives in this house by his spirit. Did you get all that? There is a correlation to the extent to which we live peaceably with people who are different than us and the extent to which, therefore, God's spirit dwells in this house. Pray with me. Father, we love you. And I thank you for this day. I thank you for what you're doing here. I thank you for the gospel. I thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit that is able to break down the walls of hostility. Father, would you pour out your spirit upon this community of faith today at all of our campus locations? Would you take our minds and think through them? Would you take our hearts and fill with them? Lord Jesus, as I always pray, would you take my lips and speak through them today. For if you do not speak, then absolutely nothing of any significance will have been spoken. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So you can take out your teaching notes. Take a few notes, if you will. I'd love for you to write this down. I want to just try to capture in a timeline fashion, if you will, what Paul is teaching us in the book of Ephesians. In the very beginning, you have, in the Bible, that is, you have Genesis. And the book of Genesis, Genesis just means beginning, okay? That's in the very beginning. But also in the beginning, you have the creation story. And the creation story, of course, is about humanity, but it is about our creator God. One of the ways we have to learn to think about racism and racial issues is is we have to just basically hunker down in theology for a moment. It's very simple, if you will. It's theology 101. But here's the deal. Our God created everything. And if our God therefore created everything, that means our God created all people. And if our God created all people, that means our God created black person, white person, brown person, red person, yellow person. And therefore, all God's people stand equal below and beneath the authority of God who gave us life in the first place. And so you got creation. And, and by the way, I just feel led to say this as a sidebar. Some of you scientific people right now are probably going to lose you for the rest of the service because you're going, well, I don't know about that whole creation thing. I don't know about that whole Adam and Eve deal. And that's because you've taken a lot of science courses and all that kind of stuff. And here's what you need to know. I'm going to hit this real quick and then then I'm going to move on. If you start to press upon the creation story, a dating of the creation story based upon our dating of the Bible, you are actually trying to force something upon the biblical text that the biblical text does not force upon itself. Did you get all that? Exactly, I know it's complicated, but sometimes people get caught up in you know, hey, is this is the world five thousand years, six thousand years old? But wait a minute, science says we've been around here millions of years and all that kind of stuff. You're arguing from a postmodern scientific perspective, and you're trying to force something upon the biblical text that the biblical text, I believe, intentionally left out. In other words, as ancient Israel was living their life, they looked at the creation story as a way in which they were able to wrap their minds around the beginning of humanity. It does not date itself. So they're looking at Adam and Eve. And if you know your Bibles, you know that the first five books of the Bible are called what? The Pentateuch. First five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Pentateuch. Then you got the history of, by the way, Israel. Then you got, you know, the prophets kick in here. You got the major prophets. You got the minor prophets. You got all of that. And then the whole Old Testament moves in a very culminating kind of way towards the birth Life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so if you picture somewhere around here, Jesus being born. And by the way, I I never assume anymore. I realize some of you might be here and you didn't grow up in the church and you've never even read the Bible. So I don't assume anymore. This is called the Old Testament. The Old Covenant. Jesus comes along, lives approximately 33 years. At the age of 30, he started to live out his ministry. He started to embody and teach us and show us what it looks like to live without bias, without racial prejudice, with unbelievable love for all people. Jesus comes along, and at the age of 30, he lives this out for three years. And at 33 years old, 33 years old, he dies on a cross. And what Paul is saying is that on that cross, Jesus Christ, by the power of the gospel, embodied a love that breaks down all racial divides of hostility. And he goes along. And if if the Bible begins in Genesis, where does it end, church? You're a bunch of biblical scholars. It ends in Revelation. Revelation. And by the way, can you read this text later? I don't have time to camp out on it now. But can you go read Revelation chapter 7 later today or this week? Because in Revelation chapter 7, guess what we get? We get a picture of heaven. And you can go read it for yourself. But in Revelation chapter 7, we see in heaven all the tribes, all the ethnic groups of the world gathered around the throne of God and worshiping God. Which I know, amen. Which reminds me of this reality. Some of you say to me from time to time, I don't like a big church. This church is too big. Hey, check it out. If you don't like a big church, you are not going to be happy in heaven. (laughs) (laughs) I I hate to break it down to you. You're going to be miserable. You're going to be sitting over there in the corner of heaven. I don't like a big heaven. And some of you, some of you are like, you, you, you know, you might come to terms with us. Maybe you used to. Maybe you're a recovering racist and you're like, I don't like different people. I don't like people who look differently to me. I don't like black people, brown people, white people. And I got to tell you something, you're not going to like heaven. Because heaven is all tribes, all ethnicities, millions, probably billions of people, depending on how long he tarries. And we're all going to be around the throne of God, yeah. worshiping God, praising God. Our creator, God. Read Revelation 7. So my point is, your time on earth and my time on earth is really nothing more than a dress rehearsal. A dress rehearsal of what heaven is going to be like. And so you you have the cross of Christ. And again, Paul would say it all resides there. It's, it's, it's epic. It's paradigmatic. It's, it's everything. The cross is the thing that breaks down the walls of hostility. Then you have, by the way, I'm just trying to do a biblical survey for you. You have Acts chapter 2, which is the birth of the church. And you remember what happened in Acts chapter 2? They all start speaking in their native language beautifully diverse. Some people think that's speaking in tongues. Acts 2 is not speaking in tongues. The word in the Greek is glossolalia. That's not what's going on in Acts chapter 2. There's other places in the New Testament speaking in tongues, but it's not Acts 2. Acts 2 is God showing us right out of the gate that this gospel brings birth and life to a multi-ethnic, racially diverse group, because the—I just said because—I <laughs> came out wrong. Because the because <laughs> I not know where that came from. <laughs> because the cross shatters the walls of hostility. I think about this other scene at the cross. Remember after Jesus Christ was crucified? Remember the temple curtain was torn in two? Think about Isaiah 64 in this moment. Isaiah 64, where where the Bible says, and Isaiah the prophet says, Oh God, that you would come down and rend the heavens. The word there is that you would come down and tear the heavens open and show the world that white man, black man, brown man, man, woman, there's neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek. We are all one in heaven. Christ. And then the New Testament unfolds and you have the gospels up here, right? We, we know about the gospels. Then you have the epistles, which is what we're studying now. But the point is everything, Paul says, moves towards the cross. And if we miss the fact that God was putting on display a love so contagious, a power so profound That man and woman are able to put away racial biases and prejudices and proclivities and they're able to truly love one another. If we miss that, we are missing what it looks like to be a part of the church of Jesus Christ. And if you have not figured this out, like I alluded to earlier very quickly, America is changing. The ethnic makeup of America is changing. Some of you like that. Some of you don't like that. To be quite honest, it really doesn't matter whether we like it or not. It's happening. And the problem is the church, universal, thank God it's not New Hope, But the church universal is falling way behind that which is already happening in our culture. For example, the American church is still over 90% segregated. It was Martin Luther King Jr. who said the 11 o'clock hour is the most segregated hour of the week. Unfortunately, it hasn't changed much. Check this out. The American church is 10 times more segregated than the communities in which they are located. Again, in some cases, unfortunately, America's changing. Our young people are changing, but the church is lagging woefully behind. And the American church is, check this out, 20 times more segregated than the schools they are located in. Now, if I can just pause and say to the pastor out there who's watching this online... If you're pastoring and leading a homogenous church and you are not intentionally trying to grow a multi-ethnic, diverse church, I would say two things to you. One is you are being biblically unfaithful. And secondly, it is only a matter of time before your church will die and become extinct. Because I'm gonna tell you, Young people have no desire, and rightly so, they have no desire to go to a homogenous church. You might not know this, but when we started this thing 15 years ago, going on 16 years ago, you might not notice this, but like I never had a desire to plant and grow a lily white church. I just didn't have that desire. It was never a part of my desire. And, and I don't have anything against white people. i mean you might you might not believe this but i am one (laughs) but i had no desire to grow a lily white church there are lily white churches on every corner and by the way by the way when i talk about a homogenous church i'm not just talking about the white church I'm not just talking about now, let's just be honest, and I believe this in the core of my being. I believe the original sin of America is white supremacy and white racism. I believe that. I believe that is the original sin of America. And you can disagree with me if you won't, you will just be wrong. But in time, in time, whereas it was originally white supremacy and racism, in time, that has shattered off into splinters, if you will, of racism across all ethnic groups. So what I am saying to you, and hear me out here for just a moment, I am not just talking when I was speaking to the pastor and to you as the church. I'm not just talking about the all-white church, and there are plenty of those. It is very common these days to have an all-black church. I'm talking about the all-Latino church. I have been around and visited all-Korean churches. You know, it's just all Koreans. And my point that I would say in each of those cases is no, no, heck no. There is one faith, one Lord, one church, one baptism, and the, pa- come on, and the power of the gospel <laughs> breaks down. <laughs> breaks down. The walls of hostility. Listen. We don't have a skin problem in America. We have a sin problem in America. It's not a skin problem. Racism. Racism is hereditary. It's taught. Your children... Watch everything you say, everything you do, the expressions on your face when you're confronted with certain situations. It's not a skin problem. It's a sin problem. And it's cyclical and it's hereditary. And we we bring our kids and it just continues to perpetrate what I'm talking to you about today. And this is why, by the way, this is why what we have going on here is so very special we got to know that. you, you got to understand. I think we sometimes live and move and, and have our being at New Hope Church. And we kind of we, we start to think this is normal. This is not normal. This is to the praise of God's glorious grace, as Paul would say to the church at Ephesus. This is not normal. And we should never take it for granted. Amen. I really believe, I really, really believe that as the Old Testament would talk about in the book of Esther, that it is for such a time as this that I'm in ministry. It is such a time as this that New Hope Church is here and we move and have our being so that we can put on full display for the world to see that there is the possibility of a community of faith that loves one another deeply regardless of your skin color because we've concluded it is sin and we're going to keep dying to the sin of racism and learning how to live and fulfill the biblical dream and the dream of Martin Luther King Jr. That we're not judged by the color of our skin, but by the content of our character. That fires you up. Can I hear an amen? amen? It's not a skin color. In fact, maybe maybe you've seen this, but there was a mom by the name of Lydia Rosebush who posted a story on Facebook. And she posted this because her, her son's heart moved her so much. Her five-year-old son, his name was Jax. He had a really good buddy at school named Reddy. And Jax, well, I guess he was kind of a little trickster, if you will. He wanted, to, he wanted his teacher to not be able to tell he and his buddy apart. It was Jax and Reddy. So Jax told his mama, I want to get a haircut just like Reddy so that our teacher will not be able to tell us apart. They looked a little alike. Check it out. It's possible. It's possible, and it's happening right here among us. And I don't know why, but that picture reminds me. You want to write this down, by the way. This Wednesday, May 10th, at 1230, Pastor Derwin Gray and I, a good friend of mine, Pastor Derwin Gray, he's a retired NFL player, played for the NFL uh, Indianapolis Colts, pastor of the church in Charlotte called Transformation. He and I are going to be on Facebook Live Wednesday the 10th at 12:30. I hope you will join us and we will continue to talk about this subject. I want to show you something that I saw at a conference some time ago. actually I think it was just last year and I remember watching I remember thinking this is powerful. our people need to hear this And I'm going to tell you about the two guys and then we're just going to sit back and watch it. I'm telling you this is golden you need to lean in and, and, and not miss this. Bill Hybels is the senior pastor of Willow Creek Community Church up in Chicago. And Bill, in all reality, is really the pace setter for our model, our style church. He, he really ushered into the American existence in the late 70s, early 80s, this whole notion of being a contemporary church. Started in a movie theater. They have grown to be one of the, the flagship churches of our nation. Bill Hybels, uh, I've had the joy and the privilege of meeting with him and being up close with him. I just had the utmost respect for Bill. Bill sat down and interviewed another person that I had the utmost respect for that I've also been around and just love, love, love to hear him preach. I'm talking about Bishop T.D. Jakes out of the Potter's House in Texas. And Bill sat down and interviewed Bishop T.D. Jakes about this subject. And I just thought, you got to see this. You got to hear this. Lean in. This is golden.
1: About 15 years ago, you and I both got invited to a meeting where we spent the better part of a day with some pretty uh, high officials, trying to figure out how to bring about racial reconciliation once and for all, remember? That? Right, <laughs> right, we were gonna fix it. We were gonna fix it yep. that day. Then I think of where we are 15 years later, and it feels in some ways, not in every way, but it feels like in some ways it's worse. Mm-hmm. What part of the racial reconciliation mission or responsibility do you feel, do you carry, do you sense in your spirit as you're leading all of these ventures in the United States and all around the world? What's your part in the racial reconciliation puzzle? Let me start
2: with this. The reason we physically get a fever is that the body is telling us that something is wrong. The reason we have pain as much as it hurts, it's a gift that causes us to draw attention to an area that we would not know that there was a problem. As horrendous and as atrocious as the issues are that are surfacing in our country right now, in some ways they are a blessing, like pain, like swelling, like a fever. It is drawing our attention to things that we drive by without notice communities that we don't see because we don't live in, issues that we don't feel because we don't know those people. And eventually anything you ignore long enough, a problem that you ignore long enough will show up in a symptom that hurts you so that it can help you. America is being forced into a conversation that we should have had years ago. And the conversation is a lot more complex than do black people like white people, do white people like black people, do brown people like white people. It's bigger than that. We have through a series of issues that are race related and not race related, created pockets of infection through which people are trapped in and they cannot escape. Systemic racism isn't about whether you lack the color of somebody or not. It is whether you have included them in the strategy for success. Okay, A lot of people have been left out of the strategy for success that is poor whites, underserved blacks, and underserved browns, and they are erupting in passionate pain in a way that we can no longer ignore because we had a strategy for us but we didn't include them in the strategy of possibilities. Our American dream has become their American nightmare. And it's not just about color, that we do have a racial problem in this country. And we probably always will to a degree, but the reason we have the swelling is that when people can't eat and they can't get a job and they can't get opportunities, uh, they swell to the point that they can no longer be ignored. Women did it. Uh, slavery caused it. Throughout history we've had moments of swelling and pain in order to get the attention of the country that this is something that will not be ignored. I want to deal with things like criminal justice because a lot of people look at it and say, well you're an African-American, you're doing well, Oprah Winfrey's doing well, Sidney Poitier's doing well. We got a whole list of people that proves that America is the land of possibility. It does not prove that. What it proves is we didn't fall into the pothole of a criminal justice system for years and years, both Democrats and Republicans got elected by bragging on how tough they were going to be on crime. And the toughness really was tough on people who couldn't afford rich lawyers. So anybody who couldn't afford a rich lawyer, the, the stats show that blacks don't commit any more crimes than whites, but they're seven times more likely to be incarcerated when they do commit the crime. Why is it? Because of racism. Some would say yes. and In some cases it may be. In other cases it may be that they couldn't afford lawyers, couldn't afford attorneys. Uh, they don't go to the country club with the judge. Uh, the the lawyer doesn't sit on the road beh- beside them or behind them. They can't pick up the phone and call the person at the bank because they don't look like them. They don't know them. Those kinds of things become reprehensible when somebody did the same kinds of mistakes that the people listening at me right now did at some point in their life and got away with it and got to rebuild their lives. But but in our communities, they went to jail, got out of jail, and couldn't vote in many areas. Can't get an apartment because you're an ex-convict. Can't get a job because you're ex-convict. And then there's somebody standing in a nice suburban neighborhood saying, this is America. why don't you get up on your feet? Well, I could get up on my feet if you didn't cut off my legs. You wouldn't feel that infection if you're not that person. The swelling that we're having right now is indicative that we have left people behind who refuse to be ignored. It's deeper than do I like black people, do I like white people? That's not the problem. The problem is we have not included a strategy that causes the underserved to be empowered and it's not just america
1: yeah i was just going to say you know you travel as much as i do internationally we see uh, ethnic differences cruelty hatred in pockets all around the world and it just reminds me you know of, of the scriptures that that define our true inner condition without the love of God at work in our lives. I mean, we we are tempted to dislike differentness. We're tempted to distrust someone from a different culture. We see it all over the world. And, And again, you have so much influence when you travel internationally. How do you address the ethnic differences and, and the conflicts that are, that are going on in other places of the world?
2: You know, I'm worried because I see it absolutely everywhere. It's spreading like an epidemic. We're seeing the kinds of wars now that we don't have a strategy to win because it's not country against country. You can't just put sanctions on them. And if we don't stop and come up with a comprehensive plan worldwide that attacks things like hunger, like poverty, like disease, in a, in a real concerted strategy, we're going to continue to see that swelling I was talking about. Those fevers are going to come out in terms of shootings and killings and murders until we see anarchy like we've never seen before. Anarchy erupts because somebody in power forgot somebody who wasn't. That's the state of our country. It's the state of our world. We need to come out of denial and come out of our comfort zone and recognize if your knee is swelling, it's telling you something. Are we, the whole issue that Jesus asked uh, the Pharisees, I believe, he says, uh, Who is my neighbor? Okay? Jesus told them, Love your neighbor, and they responded to Jesus, Who is my yeah. neighbor? It was an attempt to excuse themselves yeah, sure. for not seeing about people. Who is my neighbor? I don't know, yeah. I don't know who my neighbor is, yeah. Jesus, I don't know yeah. who my neighbor is. Yeah. And he he goes into the story about the Samaritan And he goes out of his way to show that the person who brought the help didn't look like the person who was on the ground. And it's natural to help people who look like you, or help your cousin, your daughter, your child, that's just natural. But until you can see somebody get off of their beast and climb down and help somebody that you have nothing to gain from and they don't look anything like you at all, not only will that person bleed and not be who they could be, the person on the beast won't either. Because when you start to recognize the brotherhood of men, then you fulfill the promise of God, and then God will open up the windows of heaven and bless you like you've never been blessed before. Bishop, is
1: this worldwide problem fixable without faith?
2: I don't think so. I don't think it's fixable without faith, and yet I feel kind of funny saying that because in reality the church has done the worst job. Hmm. <laughs> of being of recognizing brotherhood. Martin Luther King said the eleven o'clock hour on Sunday is the most segregated hour in our country. And fifty years later, it still is. And yet we have the faith. So faith without works is dead being alone. We have the faith, but not the works. We need a strategy. You have to be intentional about love. You know, you can't just say, if it's meant to happen, it's going to happen to me. You have to be intentional about tearing down the natural propensity that exists within all humans to remain comfortable.
0: I love how I said you have to be intentional with love. Intentional to to love our neighbors, regardless of what they look like, regardless of where they fall on the socioeconomic scale. What it means to be in Christ and to be humbled at the foot of the cross where you and I, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Where we stand, what it means to be humbled there at the foot of the cross is that the power of the gospel breaks all of that nonsense down. And shows us that despite our, our tendencies and maybe how we were raised and what we were taught and what our experiences are, that at the end of the day, we can learn to die to that sin and learn to live and love deeply. And I've already said that I believe, it's just what I believe, I believe America's original sin is racism. And then by the, at that point in time, it was primarily a white person thing and I just want to say to everybody here on behalf of white people I'm sorry like like seriously I am deeply deeply sorry and maybe maybe you've never heard a white person say that or maybe you've never heard one say it that actually meant it but like Like, I am so, I grew up in South Carolina. I I was around this stuff like you would not believe. I know it well. And inside of me from day one, I couldn't stand it. And I'm sorry. But now, racism is not just a white person thing. Now it is splintered off into all kinds of other groups of people. you got the white man in many cases still being racist toward the black man. And then you got the black man. Be careful, African Americans, because if you're not careful, you'll start to perpetuate the very thing that was brought on to you. You will start to perpetuate it to the brown person because they're threatening your piece of the American pie now. And then you got, the, you got the brown person and the Asian person. And now you just got racism breaking out all over the place. And why don't we just have the maturity and the wherewithal to call it what it is. It is sin. And we need to confess it. And we need to own it. And we need to acknowledge it. And ask God to forgive us. Each week, we're going to go just a little bit further into this, but let me wrap up with just some key points of application. I really want to give you application each and every week. Here's the first one, and, and oh, my Lord, I hope you'll write these down and not just sit there and look at me. Number one, smile and speak to people who have different skin color than you. Like, I mean, intentionally do it. This will not come natural. We have this, this tendency to gravitate toward people who are just like us. But when you understand the gospel, when you understand the New Testament, when you understand what I've been talking to you about the cross, then it causes you to understand, hey, I have these tendencies. I have these biases. I'm going to intentionally smile and speak to people with different skin. And guys, if you do an experiment. Just do it this week. And you will see your existence so change. And you will see the atmosphere around you change. I watch people when I'm in public. I watch them closely. And I've done little experiments myself. It is amazing what a simple smile will do to a person. Can you people smile? Smile, smile, smile. Come on. Look at those pearlies. Smile. Balcony. I'll never forget you. Smile, smile. Just smile at people, people who have different skin color, and say, hey, how you doing? You'll watch the atmosphere totally change. It's the most beautiful, amazing thing. Instead of walking around like you ate a flipping sour onion sandwich for breakfast, <laughs> smile at people. Even if you, a fake smile is better than no smile. Even if you don't feel like smiling, some of you are like you don't, you're like I don't smile before two o'clock in the afternoon. Smile! <laughs> I love this verse in Romans twelve eighteen. It's a short little verse. It's a powerful one. Maybe they'll throw it up there because I'd love to read it out loud. Romans twelve eighteen. Ready? Go! If it is possible, as far as it depends on, you. live at peace with everyone. As far as it depends on who, you. you. Smile and speak to people. Open up a door for somebody. Offer to help them. Number two, intentionally pursue personal relationships with people different than you. See, the first level is, for God's sake, just smile at people and speak to them. The second level, if you want to take it a little bit further... And live out this gospel that I'm talking about. Intentionally pursue relationships with people different than you. Anybody can smile and speak to somebody. But here's a question. When was the last time you ever had someone of a different skin color in your house? See, I think sometimes with New Hope, the tendency can be is, oh, we love New Hope. It's diverse. It's multi-ethnic. I come here every Sunday. I've done my time. I'm with people different than me. And then we go right on into our little world of exclusivity. Right? Right? Have you ever invited somebody over, get you some of this, over for Thanksgiving with a different skin color than yours? Have you ever had anybody sleep in your bed, not your bed, a bed in your house. <laughs> Easy, tiger. Have you ever had anybody spend the night in your house? What about our life groups here at church? We, we do life together in life groups. And we've got this thing called Group Link. Maybe you've been. I hope you come out. We have Group Links. We fill this place up, and people kind of get into groups together. And I I come every now and then. I'm not always here. But I remember coming one night last year. I remember so vividly. And they were doing the thing where they were splitting up in groups and affinities and geographies and all this kind of thing. And I noticed, I just started to notice that our groups were not completely, but they were leaning toward being monogamous. I mean, (laughs) homogenous. See? (laughs) Oh, my Lord. (laughs) I'm still thinking about that comment about the bed. <laughs> not monogamous, homogenous. <laughs> it's getting funny. I need to wrap this thing up. <laughs> but I started noticing that they were, they were, some of them were quite homogenous, and I came over right in this side of the worship center, and there was this big group. I mean, it wasn't a, it wasn't a small group. It was like a small church. It's like 25 people. I'm like, that's not a small group. And they were all one color, and I busted in the middle of the circle and just started busting their chops because that's how I roll we we got we to gotta start talking about this stuff. we gotta, we got we to gotta start getting comfortable with our tendencies and our proclivities and start talking about the fact that, that if we're going to get this thing right, we're just not going to go to church with each other on Sunday. We're going to actually do life together. I didn't say this last service. I, I wish I would. I'm going to say it to you. Here's an idea. When you, when you gather around on Sundays and you start inviting people to go to lunch with you, invite people who look different than you. Intentionally, that's, that's the key word. Intentionally pursue relationships with people different than you. Here's the third one. Here's the third one. And I'm done. Invest in New Hope's vision and invite all people to this. Here's the two key words I've been putting together unified diversity. Invest in New Hope's vision. Get on the front lines, in other words. Okay, quit just admiring it and being able to brag about it and feeling good about it. No, come on out of the grandstands, get on the playing field, be a part of us, become a member tomorrow night, membership class, right here, 6 p.m. I mean, literally start to realize this is our destiny. This is what God has called us to do and be, not just in Durham, but in the world. Get involved in this vision and become contagious, In inviting people of all skin colors to be a part of this unified diversity. And we'll stand back one day and we'll look around and we'll say, you know what? It was nothing back then. Look at what God is doing now. Come on. We'll, come on, we'll start to, we'll see stuff break out. We'll see the Spirit of God start to reside in this place like you've never even imagined. And it will all be a dress rehearsal for the day that we get to heaven and we worship God. Black man, white man, brown man, red man. It doesn't matter, we're all one in Christ. Hey, there's this thing, there's this thing that maybe you've, oh, I didn't, yeah. If this is the Old Testament, this is what? (laughs) Um, I'm going to end with this. You know that what we believe really matters, what we believe. Theology is important. And what we believe and who we believe in should inevitably impact how we live our lives. Agreed? Agreed? Many of you have seen this, and I've used this when I've done counseling with marriage couples. And I don't take that the wrong way. I'm not a counselor. I will mess you up. You don't want. You don't want one-on-one counseling with me. Seriously, um, but I have. I have used this before, and some of you probably heard it or you've seen it. It's called the triangle, and it's used often in the whole concept of how to grow a great marriage. And just if you haven't heard it, let me just put it on there, refresh others of you. You got God at the top of the triangle, right? And then you got old hubby here, right? And you got old wifey here. And pastors and counselors make the point, and it's really a valid point. It's really true. I believe in this. That despite how bad your marriage gets, if you put God front and center of your marriage and you're moving towards Christ, you will inevitably, what, church? Grow closer to one another. It's a good, simple analogy. I thought about this this week. This not only works in marriage. This works in Ephesians 2 and 3, breaking down the walls of hostility among racial groups. Because yes, we might be different. Yes, you might say potato, and I might say potato. You might say pecan, I might say pecan. You might like northern food, and I might like southern soul food. But if you put God up in the front of the church, the Bible says this is his church. The Bible says Jesus is the head of the church. If we keep our eyes fixed on Christ, and I don't care if you're white, black, brown, yellow, whatever. We're all down here, all of humanity, and we're focused on Christ as we worship him and love him inevitably. We're going to do what? We're going to love one another. We're going to grow together and learn to love all people. I want to end in this way because, again, this is, this is important. What we believe matters. And so at all of our campus locations, I'm going to ask us to stand to our feet. And I'm going to ask us to declare In closing, don't head for the door. We're gonna gonna declare in closing a creed and then we're gonna sing a song. And you know creeds. I'm, I'm a big fan of an occasional creed. You got the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father. You know those, right? Some of you grew up saying that. There's this other creed that I like even more for moments like this. It's called the Nicene Creed. And the Nicene Creed is powerful because it goes from I, personal, to we. We believe. And I'm gonna invite you not only to stand. I wasn't sure if I was going to do this or not, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to invite you to stand, but I'm going to ask you to reach out and hold your neighbor's hand. And I know some of you are like, ah! How can I leave now? And, and what you need to know about me is I'm not that guy. I'm not. I, I, you know, we get together in circles, and there's always somebody. There's always that one person. Ooh, let's hold hands, you know. I'm not that person, man. I'm just you know it, but but there are times and i got this image from god this week of our church at all of our campuses with all of our different shades of skin holding hands and declaring this is what we believe and because this is what we believe, we're gonna keep moving and growing in love and peace and harmony for all God's people. So I'd like to invite you right now stand where you are, all of our locations. Grab a hand. And if you're some germaphobe, it's May. Don't worry about it, dude. It's not winter. Take a chill pill. (laughs) See how powerful this is? I wish you could see it, but you can just look around you and see it. Let's declare it together. The Nicene Creed. We believe in one God. Come on, church. The Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. And his kingdom will have no end. We believe in one Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshiped and glorified. He is spoken through the prophets. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thanks for being a part of this week's podcast. If you have any prayer requests or praises, we'd love to hear from you. Just email our pastors and staff at prayers at newhopenc.org and we would love to pray for you. If you'd like to support the ministries of New Hope, just stop by one of our campuses or visit us online at newhopechurch.org. We hope you'll join us next week for the podcast and thanks for being a part of our church family.